welcome to the Blue and White Brothers, the podcast all about Penn State football. Conversation and commentary from a fan perspective. I'm Tom Gaffman. And I'm Andy Gaffman. And we are the Blue and White Brothers. Two brothers, two takes, one team. We are, Andy. We are back with both brothers. I, I had the most strange experience last time of having our first ever blue and white brothers episode without my brother. Um, I was really I was grateful on a bye to have, week. <laughs> yeah, it was I'm your bye, bye week. week. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it was, um, it was fun actually doing, doing the show with dad. Um, he's personally glad that you're back, but <laughs> I listened to the majority of the episode before passing out. I think about 75% of the way through. Uh, but on my flight back from Panama, um, I was I was in Panama. Uh, I can't talk about why at this juncture, but uh, Panama's cool. I had a good time. It was great. Uh, what an isthmus. What an isthmus. <laughs> I'm not sure I've ever been to an isthmus before. Yeah, I mean, I guess uh, sucks to be you or something. <laughs> I don't know. Bucket list item. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, well, I mean, what do you th- what do you think of uh, how Dad uh, contributed to the show last week? I thought he was great. I thought he was uh, he nailed it. I, yeah, quite frankly, I, I've heard quite uh, from uh, from Cody saying that we need more Rick Gathman on the show. Well, if you recall, I, I think it was season one during COVID. Um, we had Rick's picks a oh, couple, yeah. at least once or twice. I Didn't can't you listen? Many. We had Rick's picks last week. Yeah, I'm just saying, but we also did it in season yeah. one is what I'm saying. It was, yeah, you're it, right. And I think we had hoped maybe to get what, him on more regularly to be. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, I, I heard you do it, but <laughs> it's definitely not a recurring segment. No. Uh, and maybe, and maybe that's just how he wants it. Yeah. He is well, not a guy who loves commitments outside of his control. <laughs> well, not only that, but, um, I was talking with him after the fact and, and he's like, uh, you know, I was like, Dad, it sounded great. You know, thanks for doing it. And he's like, uh, he and Mom apparently listened to it that night after it was posted. And he's like, I really don't want to do that again. He didn't feel, <laughs> <laughs> he didn't feel good about it. I don't know why. I, I, I think people listening to themselves, if you don't have a ton of experience listening to yourself, and by all rights, our father does not have to listen to himself a lot. You know, after the fact, <laughs> we have to listen to him. No, well, you know, <laughs> so and I don't mean to go off on this big tangent here, but our dad is a mu- mu- he's very musically talented in uh, playing music, singing, um, producing, producing. But but he he is the guy behind the scenes, um, which I think is by design. He yeah, likes to true. write and that's produce and not be the one performing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's just that's you know that that's just the way it is you know i can i personally don't love hearing myself but i have a ton of experience like having to do it you know you kind of I mean? get over you know unless you're like a true narcissist you just have to yeah. kind of get over uh, the discomfort of listening and to make yourself. no mistake you do all the editing and i don't have to listen to myself <laughs> i listen time. to you um, <laughs> i lean uh like when i'm <laughs> when hear i hear me all the time <laughs> when, <laughs> well yeah not only that but like you know and i'm doing the edits and i'm like you know kind of 
I'm not, I don't listen to the entire show when I'm no, editing, right, but like right. little clips of it. And Eileen's like, how can you do that? How can you listen to it? Because <laughs> somebody has and to. Over. That's yeah. yeah. Anyway. Somebody has to, unless we want to pay someone, which I, you know. Yeah. Well, when we have our big sponsors and uh, yeah, someday I'll get... I'll get beyond that, but anyway, well, we've we've uh, we've established that we're glad to have you back. I'm glad Thanks. to have you back. <laughs> yeah, back in um, the country for now. Here's what we've got uh, today. Um, we're gonna hit some news and notes. What a consequential weekend of football it was. Uh, we're gonna hear some of those headlines, and then most of the show is gonna be recapping that incredible. Iowa game. My goodness, I can't wait to get to it. Uh, before we uh, do that, just want to remind everyone, please subscribe and follow the show so you don't miss an episode. Uh, share it with your Penn State friends. And uh, hey, write a review, give us a rating, um, send us an email. We got some new entries for the mailbag this week. Thanks for those of you who've written in. That'll be at our second uh, episode of the week. But um, yeah, send us an email. We'd love to engage with you. Um, and with that, let's Go to our news and notes. News and notes. Well, it was a historic and thrilling weekend of college football. Penn State, Iowa was one of seven ranked on ranked matchups this weekend. Uh, I There were some stats about, you know, w- when that's ever happened before, if ever, um, but really significant. And um, so what we're going to do is we're going to go over those top results, and then move on to the Big Ten. And now we're just going to start off with the biggest game of the noon window when number four Florida State managed to escape Clemson with a come-from-behind 31-24 to overtime win. They remain unbeaten and give themselves a clear path to the ACC title game. What's your 10-second take on that, Tom? Um, To me... Florida State is suspect. They almost lost at Boston College. They almost lost at Clemson. But obviously, they got a Heisman Trophy caliber quarterback who can win in the end, and that's going to be dangerous moving forward. But suspect. Penn State maybe on the cusp of jumping over Florida State sometime soon. All right, next headline, number 10. This is my favorite game of the day after ours. Number 10, Oregon, proves that number 19, Colorado, is not ready for prime time. Pummeling them in a satisfying 42-6 to win. Andy, satisfying. Like, I, I'm... It's, you know, Colorado's up the road for me here. You know, I want to oh, go true. witness that, uh, <laughs> that, that atmosphere coming up against USC this weekend. Ooh, are you um, serious? Yeah, I think I'm going to try and go to the game. I, I'm going to wow. ho- hopefully try and scalp a ticket that's less than... $250, $200. Hopefully I can get it between $100 and $105, $150 because they're like $400 right now on uh, StubHub. But, you know, I mean, when you're getting inflated like these networks are doing for Dion and 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 this Colorado Buffaloes, it, it was bound to happen. I mean, Oregon is a deeply talented team, a deep roster of talent. And it showed. It just showed. It was a. It was an ass whooping for sure. Pardon <laughs> my thoughts. Show. <laughs> Pardon my thoughts. <laughs> it was. Yeah. It was really, really wonderful to see. Personally, uh, Oregon, for their own part, looked like a pretty darn good football team on both sides of the ball. By the way, I, I think at the end of the to just touch, you know, briefly on that. I think at the end of the year, that will not look like a quality win like it did it, it, at the time. I think CU could be a fringe bowl team. At best. I mean, that's fair. And I am 100% with you. But 
nonetheless, they sure look- on an, on a big stage they produced at a very very high you know caliber. Well, you can only play the team in front of you, and they it's true. just it's fair steamrolled them. Yeah, yeah they probably 35- should have won by more. They probably should have won by more. It was thirty five nothing at the half. I mean, oh, and by the way, Oregon's head coach did not hold back. <laughs> no. in any way. I thought how, you were going to say how, this earlier. I uh, yeah, sorry. I, I just you know with all the talking that that Dion's been doing, obviously we're on a ta- ta- ten, 10 second tangent here or whatever. The two minute tangent. <laughs> yeah, so it's not intentional. But there's a lot to talk about with that that game and that team and 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 Oregon's head coach Dan Lanning did not pull a punch when t- he's like we're in it for for wins not clicks and it's like holy shnikes i mean you know and then on top of that colorado was dissing their their giant oregon uh logo at the in the at midfield after colorado was complaining about it last week with colorado state so you know it, it's like karmic <laughs> retribution for sure it felt that way and and it's very likely that colorado's gonna yeah. have quite a long slog uh, Who through knows? the heart of their... Who knows? We'll find yeah, out. Yeah. Um, for Dion's part, his r- comment was, yeah, we got we got ourselves beat bad, but he also said, get us now while you can kind of thing. <laughs> he's still you know, talking. At, at, this point, at this point, with the way he's going to be able to recruit, I agree with his statement yeah. there. He's yeah. going to recruit. If he sticks around for four years, that fourth year team is going to have a deep roster with with between the portal and you know several recruiting classes coming in there'll be a force if he sticks if it around. doesn't implode on the way there because I, kind of, I have a feeling he's going to stick around for four years but yeah. he, i think he eventually will roll on Anyways. all right moving on um love those two minute tangents <laughs> number 11 utah goes toe-to-toe with number 22 UCLA in a low-scoring slugfest using a pick-six to make the difference in a 14-7 victory, which is their fourth straight win without star quarterback Cam Rising. Yeah, and uh, UCLA is starting the number one high school recruit uh, in the country, number one quarterback recruit in the country, true freshman. Um, I think his name is Dante Moore. Um, he did not look sharp uh, at all. Obviously, that pick six. Utah's defense looks legit. Um, I like Utah rolling. I like seeing what they're doing since coming out of the Rose Bowl, and i looking forward to Cam Rising coming back for them. Okay, moving on. Nick Saban shows that he still got what it takes to beat his former assistants as number 13 Alabama cruises to a comfortable victory over Lane Kiffin and number 15 Ole Miss 24 to 10. Kiffin has never beaten Nick Saban. He's 0 5 now, and that was the lowest point total Lane Kiffin has had as an Ole Miss head coach in SEC play. So, you know, Nick Saban, well, Maybe losing some of his luster isn't, you know, keeping a little bit of his gusto with that win over. I mean, that was an important win for Alabama over Ole Miss. That's for sure. The biggest one of that day. And it's North Carolina versus Pittsburgh, right? Nar- no. Don't see floundering. No, I'm just kidding. No. Let's talk crap course. on Narduzzi. It's, the, it's number six Ohio State scores yeah. a literal last second touchdown to knock off number nine Notre Dame in South Bend. 17 to 14. Well, you're in a Notre Dame house. Tell me, you give me your take being in a Notre Dame house, how that went for you in terms of, you know, you kind of sort of root for Notre Dame because you're married into. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Family. I mean, uh, all things being equal, I, it was, it was crushing. 
it was, you know, Eileen was out of town. She was, she's describing to me the scene. She's staying with uh, parents of a colleague in Roanoke, Virginia. And they were kind enough to put the game on. And like Eileen is feeling all the feelings with like, you know, people she doesn't know all that well. <laughs> and, you know, she just like, she couldn't go to sleep that night, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's like, and we felt that way. And like, I mean, Notre has- Dame. Was gonna win that game. They won the game already, they, and then and they 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 gave it away. They gave it away. They gave it away in multiple yeah. ways. Yeah. That's that's tough. I you know on one hand, Andy, I wanted Notre Dame to win this game, but the way uh, Ohio. First of all, I also am fine with Notre Dame losing every week of the year. I'm fine with that. <laughs> but but Ohio State now it's setting up for Penn State to be the ones to topple them. Well, you know, it's setting up for that. And I, I'm happier to take Ohio state down as a higher ranked team than I would be being like, Oh, we're going to come, you know, clean up their puke. You know, when we, you know, (laughs) whatever. I'm happy for Ohio state to look terrible whenever they have the opportunity. So I really wanted them to, to go down and start the first chip of the, uh, you know, the felling of that mighty tree, but one uh, more tangent, (laughs) there we go. One more tangent. Anyway, I you know No, 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 I have one more tangent no, on this game. No it's more. Ryan Day. It's Ryan Day. <laughs> All right. Ryan uh, Day uh, is like I don't know if he's just riding the wave of it's personal coined by Dion uh Sanders at Colorado. All his coaches are coming out like it's pers- like Lou Holtz who was a 90-year-old puppet at this point, <laughs> a Notre Dame puppet, a character, uh, not someone who is unbiased in any way about Notre Dame. Oh you know, he's, he's on the Pat McAfee show talking about how um, in all of uh, Ryan Day's losses at Ohio State, Ohio State's been the less physical team, the less tough team. And Ryan Day, like, took it unbelievably personally. Well, you can tell that that is... That is personal to him because that was the knock on Ohio State the last few years is they just haven't been. I mean, they've been a finesse team and not a physical team. And, you know, I he whatever. I mean, he, he needs to deal with that problem in his own spirit. He's got to talk to a therapist <laughs> totally about it. Because he's r- going Letting off the rails. Lou Holtz? L- goodness. And he, not only, it was like right after the win, he came out and was like talking about Lou Holtz. He's like, I couldn't believe it. Lou Holtz, unbelievable. How dare he? How dare he? And then not only that, that was on the field, and then in the post game, back in the press room, he's going on about it even more. So Lou Holtz got into his head. He's... This, this <laughs> Like, I I appreciate his candor, obviously. Like, that's good for, you know, viewers. But, like, dude, that's not an unflappable quality to be displaying. Well, not only that, it's just not classy at all. So that's Um, why I like it from a, oh, Penn State can smell chum in the yeah. water well, because it was we not a dominant see. win. It was, it was a, it was Skinning like an ugly win yeah. at yeah. best. All, All right. right. Tangent over. <laughs> well, we, that's, we're out of time for news and notes. So we're no out of more. time for the podcast. We'll catch you next <laughs> Good week. Lord. Um, no, we do have a couple of uh, uh, big 10 uh, headlines, just uh, some game results there in the big 10, 10 second takes. I remind you number two, Michigan. Overcomes a slow start to earn a comfortable 31 to 7 victory over Rutgers. Not impressed still. Still not impressed just yet with this team. That's it. That's all I got. Maryland 
dominates Michigan State, holding the home team to single digits in a convincing 31-9 win over the Spartans as the Terrapins remain undefeated on the season. There are four undefeated teams in the Big Ten, and they're all in the Big Ten East. All right? Maryland plays Ohio State in a couple weeks. Will they be ranked? Will they challenge them in the horseshoe? Maryland looks okay so far. They look okay. They look like the fourth best team in the co- in the conference for sure. Yeah, um, should be interesting. As but the, Maryland's we- known to start fast and flounder in the second <laughs> half of the season, so I'm waiting for that too. <laughs> well, we shall see because uh, yeah, after a couple of uh, you know slow starts in a, the last few games, they they're four and zero and scoring a lot of points. So Sparty's bad, indeed. Um, <laughs> Indiana. Outlasts the fighting Joe Moorheads as the Hoosiers beat Akron 29 to 27 in four overtimes. I watched them. I watched the fourth quarter and all the overtimes. <laughs> um, you know, the the offensive coordinator for uh, Joe Moorhead is Billy Fessler, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Uh, a, a former, a former walk, I think he was a walk-on at Penn State, but a former quarterback at Penn State um, while Joe Moorhead was there, too. He was so, kind of like a Rudy figure. He, like, played totally. in the last game of his senior year. Right, kind of thing. right, right, right. So, uh, and I was kind of rooting for uh, Joe Moorhead there. Is he the kind of guy who's going to take the Northwestern job or the Michigan State job? That's an interesting angle there, too. Mm. Um, anyways, let's, let's keep going down the list here. Last uh, one in the Big Ten. Northwestern doubles their win total from last season by notching their first conference victory of the year, coming from behind to beat Minnesota in overtime 37-24. to It was beautiful to see um, Northwestern come from behind like that. It was obviously a very emotional victory for interim uh, head coach uh, David Braun. Um, Really, what I take away from this is that, A, they're not ready to die, and B, P.J. Fleck is in year seven, and that shouldn't be happening to a year seven P.J. Fleck team. So that's concerning for if – if I'm a Minnesota fan, that's concerning. Well, um, that'll do it for your scoreboard. Uh, just a quick check-in on the polls. Um, Penn State, after being stuck at seven, finally climbs one spot <laughs> to six after that dominant victory over Iowa. Uh, meanwhile, Florida State and USC move down after less than convincing victories over unranked opponents. Ohio State goes right back to where they started the year, moving two spots up to number four. Um, Here's an interesting thing. The three highest-ranked one-loss teams are sitting at 11th, 12th, and 13th. That's Notre Dame, Alabama, and LSU, respectively. And each of them, their one loss is to a team currently ranked in the top five. So, fascinating. Um, Yeah, so a couple takeaways for me here, Andy, and I know you're probably not done with your side, but what I think is interesting is they're talking about the Pac-12 being the deepest, you know, and they have four teams in the top 10 with uh, USC, um, Oregon, Utah, and Washington, not in that order necessarily, but they're all behind the three Big Ten teams who are all sitting in the top six. Yeah, very interesting. Um, the only other thing I was going to say, bro, is that the uh, two teams who got truly pummeled this past week are now out of the rankings. That's Iowa and, of course, Colorado. We call we call Colorado and Iowa Interstate eighty uh, West teams, and they're and that's just that's just their fate. They suck. Gotta go. Bye. <laughs>
<laughs> All right. So um, that's it for news and notes. Let's go over to that uh, Iowa game. And my goodness, um, I got to say, uh, it was a game to remember. I'm, I, you know, just since that game has happened, I still can't get enough just thinking about it and reading about it. It was a beautiful game to watch. A um, couple of things before we uh, get into the details of the game. Uh, this was the first time since 1990 that CBS came into Beaver Stadium. And although there have been a lot of talk about the broadcasters who... Um, yeah, you can not watch a huge, those broadcasters at any SEC game. I mean, even last year's Auburn game was not on a CBS. Fan. Not they, a fan. They don't. I, they're not a fan of Penn State. Obviously. No, they sure are not. They literally, uh, like, uh, go back to they that were, Auburn game they last were year. Actively pulling for Iowa in like 50, even 50 in, calls. Even in the and, second half when it was yeah. like out of reach. But they anyway, were still like what Maya was trying to say is that aside <laughs> from the broadcasters, the uh, the actual um, presentation was really good. They see. CBS made Beaver Stadium and Penn State look great. They made the whiteout look great. Um, the whiteout did look great. It did. Even with rain coming down, you know, like swirling mist and wind. Uh, the fans crowd, stuck around. Fans wore white. It, they it looked great. They sounded amazing. 110,830 white-clad fans made for the second largest attendance at Beaver Stadium ever, which is and my, shocking. It is shocking. And I think it goes to show shocking you, with the weather, especially and like I know. an Iowa opponent that's not even highly regarded really in terms of this season right now. But it goes to show you that you and I are not the only ones who have a sense that this could be a really special season. There are a lot of people, at least in the Penn State world that are, are anticipating something special from this team. And we did see something special on Saturday. Penn State overcame a slow start. We dodged a few classic Iowa traps to grind out an impressive 31 to nothing victory. I did not see, nor did anyone else see, a shutout against Iowa, even as bad as their offense has been. Um, no, it was, I, I saw no more than 13 points, but definitely didn't see a shutout coming. I mean, and by halftime, you know, it, it was a close score, but you were already starting to see signs that Penn State was starting to uh, dictate the terms. And um, they came out in that third quarter and just erased all doubt. I mean, yeah. we started the second half with a 75-yard drive that took off nearly seven minutes. It was 15 plays. And, uh, you know, by the halfway through the third quarter, we were up 17 to nothing. And you kind of felt at that point, barring anything disastrous, the game was already out of reach. It was, you know, it was clinical. It was, um, you know, it was the team felt like focused and almost detached. They were just taking care of business and it didn't matter who they were running over. didn't matter who they were tackling. didn't matter who they were facing. They were just dominating in all phases of the game. I, I, you know, I think by the end of the game, the only question was, you know, are we going to be able to preserve the shutout? And even then when Iowa started getting a little bit of something going in their offense with our second string on the, on the field, um, we got another fumble and uh, closed the door, got to, got to take a knee to end the game. It was, it was really, really cool, man. Uh, regard with regard back to the crowd. I, I you know, <laughs> my good friend Cody has not missed a whiteout. I don't think ever in his uh 
fandom. Um, I really would have loved to have been there at the game. However, you know, looking at the the <laughs> the weather report, I don't think you or I were too sad to be having to watch it in the comforts of a, of a dry building. Not um, in the least. I was, was really like excited to be fifties and rainy and windy. Like <laughs> you know, no, I was but, happy to be at the West Virginia game that was gorgeous. <laughs> but so yeah, obviously that was an unbelievable setting. It was actually too hot during the day. But um, what's interesting to me about the, like the is there a like it's almost like a fever pitch happening with how that many fans turned out in that that, those conditions and it makes me wonder andy and i'm gonna do a little projecting here real quick before we dive it more into the game let's hear it if penn state takes care of business against ohio state like i personally think they will and if michigan runs the table until we play them which they're their schedule is a cakewalk until our game. This is November 11th. Andy, we could be looking at the biggest game in Beaver Stadium history in terms of ranked matchups. And on top of that, sure to be a record-breaking crowd. Even no matter how you slice it, that game is going to be monstrous. And this this win over Iowa is setting up, uh, like you said, a special kind of a special opportunity for this team and and and, you know i think it's going to be a a special season and got some hurdles to 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 get over to to have that happen but this was a big one this is a big hurdle for penn state to get over these last two games are were you know back to back um out of the division but in the conference you know thorns in our side historically speaking in a lot of different ways and we even talked about with, with illinois and we know iowa's done it and and but to to just to get a shutout at home in front of that many fans. By the way, with that many recruits on hand, on top of it, and Franklin was, you know, shaking babies and kissing hands, and <laughs> and yeah, totally, uh, he really was. And it's just, I, it, there's, it, it's just building something that's going on here. That Franklin's spent a decade getting to this point, and it's like, all right, baby, let's go. Let's see where let's see where this team can go. I mean, it definitely feels like we have been building towards something. Uh, it's been a slow burn. Um, speaking of slow burns, uh, there's something that uh, I, I want to talk about here before we get into some of the, the speci- specifics of the game. Um, you know, and Dad and I last week were talking about, you know, some of the history with Iowa and thinking about it. And of course, that 2021 game was a, a pretty significant. I mean, that was the last time we played Iowa. We were at Kinnick. You know, we were getting booed by their fans for um, when our players were legitimately hurt. Like Sean Clifford got knocked out of the game. Yeah. You know, totally derailed our season. PJ Mustafer, you know, was injured, you know, for the rest of the season. He was out for the season after that injury. And, um, you know, the the fans were booing, which kind of, you know, you don't like to see it. It happens in the heat of the moment. And then... Kirk Ferentz doubled down on it. Yeah. You know, and the fans um, smelled a rat. Yeah. You know, and that, that of course, you know, I was, you know, and derailed the special our teams season. coordinator was flopping on the sideline when PJ Mustaver went down. It's just like, yeah. And, and so this is what's interesting. And this did not come out until after the game. And Franklin didn't talk about it. A couple of the players ended up talking about it in their post game. But apparently, this past week, Franklin played clips of Iowa mocking Penn State players who were injured. They right. show, in fact, Denai Dennis Sutton said that Franklin hammered 
the preparation for Iowa um, by using the actions and words of the Iowa coaching staff to, quote, add extra fuel to the fire. And it's funny, we already just talking about like Ryan Day and of course Deion Sanders. It's personal, like, but it's this personal. actually was. This it actually was, was personal. And it was it was personal from a game two years ago. And you know who never said a thing about it? Franklin. And you know whoever no nobody in any of the lead up, and you didn't see it on the field in terms of like players yeah. getting all hot and bothered. No one, you know, yeah, there was no, there was no like center field no scrum. Scuffle. There was no like yeah. Rolex, you know, walking over right, the middle of right. the field and like. Yeah, there was it, only one visible display uh, by the players during the game, but it was it was without words and it was without doing it towards their bench or at a player. There was the, it was the Chop Robinson strip sack, and afterwards he mocked that special teams coach who flopped on the sidelines, mocking Penn State's players going down with actual injuries. And Chop Robinson, who wasn't even on the team, by the way, back in 2021, he was still he was at Maryland in his first year, but he went to high school at the same high school with PJ Mustafer. So yep. they yep, were they were sure. friends in high school. So when he saw that happen to PJ, he took that personally, uh, just as a Maryland player back then. And then when Franklin was driving it all home this week, he's like, "Okay, I need to like, you know, somehow make my mark to 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 you know toss one up for PJ and yeah, get, man. get one back for PJ on Absolutely. that is what that was. Well, you know, and this is. My take on this is that this is how you do a revenge game. Right. You don't right. talk about it ahead of time. You show it on the field, not in a cocky, out-of-control way, like clinical, determined, well, <laughs> dominating. Yes. And, and and the best part is that they did it without their words, even in the game plan. And, and as the game unfolded, it was all the ways that Iowa would have wanted to beat Penn State. Yeah, and we did it to them. Yeah, we from played a game I, plan standpoint. Total. From a who, what, what packages we utilized. We ran power football with tight ends, multiple running backs, and pythoning defense with turnovers galore. This is literally the the blueprint of how Iowa wants to play football every single week, and we did it to them without giving them a freaking inch. That <laughs> was amazing. Uh, by the end of the game. Penn State had run 97 plays, 97 offensive plays, gained 397 yards. <laughs> to them. <laughs> we gained nine, 397 yards. Iowa only ran 33 plays, gained only 76 yards. We outgained them uh, five times. We uh, held the ball three times more than. They did. We ran the ball. We ran three times more plays than them. In fact, um, this is a somewhat frequently quoted stat. True Media uh, notes that in the past five seasons, no other FBS team has been outsnapped by sixty or more plays. This this is historic. It is historic. And like you said, we did exactly what Iowa wants to do to every other team. That they play, but we, we did, did it, it better them. than they've ever done it. We too. put on a clinic for how Iowa wants to play. <laughs> yeah. Hey, let us show you how you wish you could do things. <laughs> and then and like, we went and shut them out. And this was their first shutout loss since 2000. Dude, this is that that two. Let's put it in context. Uh, 
Joe Paterno hadn't even passed Amos Alonzo's stag at that point yet in <laughs> his career wins. Time. Yeah. Um, I'd like to just offer a quote uh, by Khan Noonien Singh from Star Trek The Wrath of Khan. <laughs> <laughs> Captain Kirk is realizing he's just been marooned by Khan, whom he marooned like a decade or two decades earlier. And uh, Khan on the intercom is talking to Kirk and explains... Uh, what he's done, and he says, Ah, Kirk, my old friend, do you not know the Klingon proverb that tells us revenge is a dish best served cold? It is very cold in space. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's what we, like, two years we've been holding on to this, and yeah. we served it cold, not just, like, a long period of time, but, like, ice cold in our demeanor. Like, it was all business. We haven't even mentioned Brian Ferentz yet. <laughs> No By need. The way, I mean, <laughs> well, yeah. Well, there's no reason to in terms of what their offense did, but I mean, we're just we we our offense out Iowa, Iowa. Our defense out Iowa. Brian Ferentz. <laughs> like, uh, dude, the defensive I mean, performance here. I mean, it truly, it was complimentary football, right? Because you had the offense just grinding out possessions, but the defense every time they took the field. Uh, was incredible. And I want to just, you know, with the rest of our time, put a little bit of a focus on the defense and a little bit of focus on the offense. And let's just start with the defense. Um, you know, I think uh, they, in seven out of eight possessions, uh, Iowa had either a three and out or worse, because one of those, one of those uh, was a two possession, uh, two play possession because we uh, got a strip sack. I mean, after after the initial uh, two drives where they, you know, I'd put a little bit of, um, you know, some momentum behind um, their offense and Eric all had that fumble that flipped momentum. And it was just from that point on, Iowa literally had nothing going for him. Um, Andy, you know, what's an interesting, like kind of thing to do for, this this game here, in my opinion, What's let me just let me just go ahead and give you exactly Iowa's how Iowa finished all their offensive drives. I'm just gonna run run down it. You ready? Yeah, let's hear. Punt, it. punt, fumble, punt, 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 punt. End of the first half. <laughs> punt, fumble, punt, fumble, and then we downed it to close out the game. I mean. They they didn't have a single drive uh, outside of outside of their first drive. They didn't have a which was six plays, by the way. Um, and then they we, we forced a punt. They didn't have a single drive of more than oh, let's see here. Looks like five plays. And that was their last one where they fumbled their their drive away uh, with our scrubs in. So the the most plays they had on offense in a drive outside of that first drive of theirs, which was a punt after six plays, they didn't have anything more than three plays. Andy, that, that we just crushed them. They couldn't get first downs. They we dude. They had as many turnovers as they had first downs. Uh, I mean, that's that statistic in and of itself. I mean, that's truthfully, it's the offensive output you would have expected against FCS Delaware. Yeah, I absolutely agree. You know, and um, and these are, uh, you know, again, I, I was offensive problems are well documented, but these are, you know, 
power five. These are power five quality athletes, you know, and, and we just McNamara took them to a, took Michigan to a college football playoff. Yeah. He's a legit quarterback. He's a legit power five quarterback. He's a big 10 winning quarterback. Won a big 10 went to the cultural playoff as, as a Michigan quarterback. Like, uh, by th- the way, he beat Penn state in Beaver stadium with Eric all their starting tight end in that game. They you think they, he misses they had a Michigan these they days? Walk off, yes. um, uh, touchdown. It, well, I don't know if it was walk off. It wasn't a quite game, a walk off, but a game winning touchdown at the end of yeah. the. I remember it was in the the north end zone uh, and we Beaver Stadium. Hanging on ago. for dear life. We had that just, was a that was a game that if we had won could have changed that twenty twenty one season in course. terms of you know we could have been an eight or nine win team as opposed to a. Uh, let's not remember it anyways. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so so those two I, going into the game, those two having experience in that stadium, um, kind of gave me pause for a little bit of concern. Um, but you know, obviously, and that that Eric All was their only offense essentially, with the exception of that one naked bootleg run by uh, Kim right. McDermott. I'm gonna just get, bring us back to the the, the defense. What yeah. what they accomplished? Um, we already mentioned the four turnovers. Um, and that's right. huge. Uh, they had three sacks, five tackles for loss. We held uh, their quarterbacks because they their second string came in by the end of the game. We held their quarterbacks uh, to a combined six of 16 passing, 56 yards of passing. They also had a... a rushing attack and by the way this is how Iowa wants to run their offense 56 r- yards of passing by the way for their offense but only 42 for starter Cade McNamara right uh but hey how about the rushing attack uh, a combined 20 yards on 17 carries uh yeah and if you remove all the negative plays tackles for loss and sacks their run their run game still amounted to less than 50 yards total so, That's removing the net part. <laughs> so all of the combined 76 yards was their total offense for the day. 76 yards. This is the fewest yards allowed in a Big Ten game in Penn State history. Yeah. We've Which never is- held a Big Ten opponent to fewer total yards. And again, you- this Iowa's not Rutgers. Iowa, no. they, they know how to, uh, like... Produce talent. They know how to um, develop talent from lower, you know, like you know, not a lot of four stars, mostly three stars. That's what they do. They they and they just they scheme you to death too. So it, it was just they had minus twelve yards in the second and third quarters combined. <laughs> that total, was their combined total yardage. Total, total yardage in the second and third quarters were negative tw- twelve. <laughs> Good lord, man! Um, For what it's worth, Cade McNamara d- d- like was getting harassed, and he already looked like a little ho- like hobbled. Um, and that even on that twenty yard scamper, he did not look like no, he, he didn't. He, he's nursing he's been some banged sort of injury. Up. He was been banged up since the preseason too, so that that could have played a role in this for sure. Uh, I mean, they. they they didn't even have a wide receiver that caught more than one pass, so they obviously could not get the ball down the field to anyone other than Eric Hall, who only had three catches for 35 yards and, and a long of 20. And and for what it's worth, you know, they were getting things going early on in, in while they were winning the field possession battle. Um, so it was a little concerning within the first couple of drives. It was the for turnover Iowa. that that yeah, the, right. 
did it. You know, was that the, was the the straw that broke the camel's back. Was that on their second drive? At, you know, the shovel. Yeah, and pass you know the, who forced that turnover? Did the game deny Dennis up? Sutton? That's right. He and it was recovered yes. by Curtis Jacobs, who actually recovered two fumbles in that game. First time since 1991, Mark D'Onofrio yeah. uh, did a player have two fumble recoveries in a single game. And did you know, that? and I don't think you said this, but did you realize that this shutout was the first time Penn State has shut out a ranked team since 1999 in LeVar Arrington's last game as a Nittany Lion against the Texas A&M Aggies in the Alamo Bowl? I remember that game, and I remember thinking, man, I wish we were playing a better team. <laughs> yeah, I absolutely. Well, yeah, because we lost to Minnesota and everything was ruined. But yeah, the Aggies were still ranked. They were 18th, and, um, you know, but we just, we dominated them, dominated them on defense. Yeah. Um, and I mean, that's I, I been a lot. Satisfied. Almost a quarter century since we've seen that yep. kind of defense against yep. a team ranked that's team. been ranked. Um, yep. Just a couple other fun little tidbits. Um, Penn State allowed just four first downs. Right. They converted only one third down attempt. Yeah. One out of out of nine, I believe, correct? One for nine in third downs. This is the fewest allowed by Penn State since holding Idaho to one third down conversion in 2019. Uh, when we won like 79 to nothing or something yeah. like that. <laughs> I mean, this goes to show you like this is rarefied error. Um it, it's funny because like these statistics, they're they're fun and they're they're more to to kind of sh- go around, but it doesn't even really begin to explain what we saw, which was just the complete uh mauling of bludgeoning. This. It, it totally was. I mean, there's there's um a couple quotes from uh from some of our defenders. Um Adiza Isaac after the game said this, he said I felt like we couldn't miss. I felt like we were all just on the same page. Everyone was doing their job, and they, meaning Iowa, couldn't really run anything, and that was the goal. He goes on to say, they were a run-heavy team. We had to stop the run, so everybody had the mentality of just being physical, and that's what happened. Okay, so couple that with what you just said, what Adisa Isaac said, is like they felt like they couldn't miss. Like... And they wanted to be, you know, uh, dominantly physical up front against a power, you know, power run heavy team. The, the idea of of like Franklin turning the corner as a coach, how he prepared his team in the week leading up to this with with like the incentivizing of with with the the the, the twenty twenty one game in terms of getting his guys ready. Is this the kind of thing that Franklin can bottle and and apply moving forward to other opponents? Ohio Boy, State, I Michigan. hope Michigan. So. Because I if you so. can, if it, that's the thing that has been kind of plaguing uh, Franklin's career is like, yeah, I'll have some good games here and there, but like. Getting his team ready for the biggest games. He has not been a big game coach. And while this wasn't necessarily his biggest game, it was a big game. So up to this point, it was the biggest game to this point in the season. Franklin has to find a way of bottling this and applying it moving forward because with our defense playing this way against Ohio State and Michigan, you know, like Drew Allen's not making mistakes like, uh, you know, some prior. <laughs> Nittany Lion quarterbacks. Um, and uh, it's just like, I, I want to see these guys be this level of hungry and dominant and in, in not just, you know, a, an opponent like Iowa, but like show it to me against Northwestern and UMass moving forward leading into these other games. 
Keep yeah, that absolutely. edge. Keep well, that and edge. It, and it makes me think that that like showing that bulletin board material, like that in some ways is a change from the James Franklin playbook, right? He's exactly. a one and exactly. He's a one and one kind of guy. The cur- corner he needs to yeah. turn, uh, and is- he found. Yes. They found the kind of lever to get the guys to play with some extra juice. Uh, Another quote, this one from Chuck Robinson. um, He says, you could feel them losing their edge a little bit when you're whooping the man every single play in front of you. And then you got to line up against him again. It's hard to keep bringing the same mentality and the same pressure every single time. I think once we brought that, it was hard for them to stop. Well, so, so that's, and so when we talk about Franklin needing to do that, well, now these players also realize they could tap into it. And can they themselves hold themselves to that higher standard? Because the West Virginia game, Chop Robinson said, we weren't living up to our own standard. And this game, they set a standard. They're hungry. Right? And and can they retap into it? Chop Robinson is a guy that has just been on the cusp of like dominant greatness from a you know statistical standpoint. He a lot of his uh, he stats had a don't great show game. up. He a was, lot of his he was a in, lot of his play doesn't show up on the stat sheet with yeah. how he just gets after the quarterback. Um and today he was he, in Cade you know, McNamara's lap all yeah. day. I mean in his, in his face mask too. His, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, um yeah. hey I think it's important to note that Iowa did have one standout statistic and really lights out performance on the day. And that was that they had 366 punt yards on the day. Averaging over 52 yards per punt. And four of them were inside the 20. And at least two of them were inside the five, I think, too. That punter, Troy Taylor, uh, Tory Taylor, Tory Taylor, excuse me. Uh, he's maybe the best in the country. He, he could, he could, he's, he's a draft pick. He's a hundred percent, hundred percent. That's that's a weapon um, for sure. And that's why. That. And by the way, Iowa fans literally pride themselves on their punting. It's the <laughs> weirdest thing ever. It is their biggest. What flex. else do they have to be it excited is their about? Biggest flex is their punting. Oh my gosh! Well, hey, let's talk about the offense because once the you know punt was received, and you know Penn State did not have great field position a lot of the day. Um, the offense had to take over, and um, boy, oh boy, did they just put on a um, very, very business-like performance. They were composed, mostly mistake-free outside of a couple of penalties that we still want to see cleaned up. Um, Aller had this quote um, about the offense's performance. He said, quote, when we keep dinking and dunking down the field, eventually they're going to have to come up and take that stuff away, and that leaves them vulnerable over the top. He said, that's been our mentality as an offense, especially with the offensive line we have and the running backs. We can just run the ball and give them body blows the whole time with how physical we can be in the run game. And that physicality that we talked about on the defense was there on the offense, and it really started with the offensive line. Aller did not take... Uh, did he have one sack or no sacks on the day? I can't remember. He didn't take any sacks on no the day. No sacks on the day. He only has already... been sacked once this season. Right. That's it. That's the one is, is previously in the season he's been sacked, but zero sacks on the day. Offensive line had probably their best game of the, of the young season so far and enabled 215 yards rushing, um, by multiple runners, um, and you know, three and four yard runs early in the game became five and six yard runs, and eventually by the end of the game, seven and eight yards run, runs. And that's why I think you see Bo Prabula and Trey Potts with our highest yards per carry average in the run department because by that time Iowa was just spent. 
Um, but meanwhile, um, you know, Singleton and Allen, um, they were the workhorses, um, and, and, you know, among all the rushers, 250 yards, 215 rushing yards on the day is just, it's incredible against a team like Iowa. It's exactly what you got to do and, um, credit the offensive line for a very, very, uh, dominant night. You know, I just think that. This was a prove-it kind of game for the trenches for Penn State, you know, because Iowa is a, a team that is known Very for their point. trench, their trenches, and I, they, they were cha- they were challenged, I think, in the in the in the week leading up to the game, and 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 what's crazy about it is, Andy, we are rotating a lot of players on both defense and offensive line. We have like seven to eight contributors on, on the offensive line. And and we obviously lost the guy in the preseason for his career. Landon Tengal, who was supposed to be, you know, a stud left guard losing him was an, is a big deal. JB Nelson has stepped in and has played very well. Um, we still have left tackle all world. Uh, Olu Fashionu, uh, still hasn't given up a sack, uh, you know, great impressed pass protection, uh, guarding, uh, Aller, Blindside. Aller has been navigating the pocket, has been making smart decisions, has not been throwing interceptions, has not been fumbling, has not been taking sacks. And you got to give the, the offensive line credit it there with those kinds of things because he's not getting, he doesn't have, he, you haven't seen him have the happy feet because he hasn't felt like the pressure is going to, is coming, uh, his whole world is crumbling in front of him, you know? Right. Yeah. So, so it's just, I, I'm. It was an impressive offensive performance. Uh, obviously, there you could point nitpick about a few things here and there, but in a bad weather game, he still threw four touchdown passes and still completed sixty over sixty seven percent of his passes. And you I think know, it's you know we 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 need to talk about. Drew he also Aller. started nine for nine too. By the way, I mean Drew Aller's patience, his accuracy, his decision making, his you know, taking care of the ball. Um, I don't think we've said this yet, but Penn State is the only team left in the FBS of 131 teams that has not committed a turnover. And I think that was the case even going into the game. I I think you're right. I think by the time we played our game, um, we were the last team standing, but we got through the entire fourth game, right? You know, exactly. without having committed a turnover. So we're we're the sort of the last team standing, and you got to credit Drew Aller, and uh, you know, of course, the uh, the running backs too. I, I remember last year's Northwestern game, which although it was a, a midday game, it was very similar weather conditions, and our running backs put the ball on the turf. Uh, I think three or four times it was it was a uh, um, led to a very very much closer redemption than game been kind of redemption game, game from that re- rain game absolutely for, sure. they, it, for them for the running backs it shows that they learned you know they yeah they they learned how to take care of the ball um in a in a way there was that almost fumble but he was down you know uh, at Keandre or not Keandre um, it was Nick Singleton Ketron. Oh, was it Nick I think okay. it was Nick he right. kind of sat down on his yeah yeah, yeah. he was down out. um so. Uh, so, you know, one thing that I'm also noticing as each game goes by here, um, they're really not asking Aller to do m- that much. No. They're not. They're really not putting any of it on his shoulders. Even in the game one where he threw... 325 yards. They didn't put it all on his shoulders. He was he was just finding the open receiver. 
Really? Like it wasn't. I like, think he does make it look easy. And one thing I've fair. noticed, and I'm not a, I'm not a, a, a coach. I'm not, you know, a, an offensive football genius by any means. But we're not it analysts. Seems clear that he's going through multiple progressions, and time and again, he's making really, really good decisions. It's like the game is slow for him compared to some other quarterbacks we've seen. Absolutely. And he's just still in his fourth start. I mean, still cool. Still, it, still it is. Cool customer. Now, you know, Aller, you already mentioned he, he was 68% on the day, 25 of 37, only 166 yards. That's only 4.5 yards per attempt. Pretty low. But, you know, again, I think it was part of the game plan. We're not going to try to challenge Iowa's vaunted passing defense over the top. We're not going to get baited and they have one uh, of the best frustrated in the country in Cooper DeGene. Um, and you know, Keandre Lambert Smith was covered by him by and large, and he still had a career day in terms of number of receptions in a game. That was the most receptions he's had in his career in a game. Uh, with I think he caught six of eight targets. So Aller was just making terrific choices in terms of um, how he distributed the ball. But for me, eight, I think eight receptions. By the way, eight receptions for for me. I think aside from the no turnovers, which might be the most important stat in the game when you're playing a, a team like Iowa. Um, four red zone possessions, four passing touchdowns. Yep. That's you big. know, and we Penn State has had problems when we get down near the goal line and, you know, our running game becomes kind of bottled up. And, of course, we've used the T formation in the past and tried to, you know, tried to solve that problem by um, giving ourselves an advantage in the run game. But the passing game has often given us problems. We can't find an open receiver in the end zone. And Aller was just, oh, my gosh, he was surgical. Um, and I think probably the best pass of the day was that first touchdown to Khalil Dinkins, by the way, our third string tight end, who was his second choice on the route. And he like, it was a dart, it was man. Pass. It, was it was a, a laser. And, and he it was caught right, it with authority too. I mean, credit Khalil Dinkins. That was a big league catch right there. I mean, I think you could... That's an NFL caliber catch that that um, was displayed. I just audibly, no one was watching the game with me. I already said I leans out of town, and I'm just like, wow, you know, like audibly, just exclaimed, "What? That was a a, a really, really incredible display." So, so you know, we talk about like um, out Iowing Iowa. We utilized our tight ends in the red zone uh, and for first downs, you know, Theo Johnson caught some big time first downs. Um, it was the most catches I think in Theo Johnson's career too, with six, he was six of uh, six catches for 42 yards. Um, Tyler Warren was two catches for nine yards. Khalil Diggins was one catch for nine yard. So here's, here's the interesting thing. Each of those tight ends, um, had led the tight ends in, in a, one of those statistics. So Theo Johnson led with six catches and 42 yards. Um, Tyler Warren led with two touchdowns and Khalil Dickens led with a nine yard average. So <laughs> one yard, I mean, one catch just, for nine it's yards. It's just like we, we out Iowa, Iowa by using three tight ends, nine catches for 60 yards and three touchdowns. Yeah. Let, I mean, incredible. Come, right. It's incredible. just like, it's just like I was regarded as tight end. You, we rubbed it in their faces. The cherry on the top with the passing game, I think, was the fact that Drew Aller threw a fade pass for and, a touchdown. And in in the fourth quarter, with twelve, a little over twelve minutes left, we were going for a field goal that was blocked 
Uh, in, it was like inside the 20, inside the 15, maybe even inside the 10. I forget exactly where we were. But the field goal was blocked, but it was a, pa- a personal foul. On the going over the center, the, the 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 guys in the interior of the line went over our center. Yep, and, and you foul. can't do that personal foul. Automatic first down, and on first and goal, Drew saw he had one on one coverage on the outside with Keandre Lambert Smith and some other cornerback uh, who I don't even know who it was. Um, and dude, he threw a cherry bomb that went over the Iowa defender, and Keandre saw it from behind the defender and still laid out I don't know how he saw it, but he laid out and it went right in his arms in a basket and it was unbelievable it was the it that was truly the cherry on top and Keandre finished eight catches for 66 yards and a touchdown and it's just we have scored a point in 28 straight quarters now Andy and and that touchdown that the put, country and that put yeah, it leads the country over that the same span, active streak. And that touchdown put us over 30 points, which keeps our streak, I think, of 11, 11 games in 11 a row. 11 games now. now of 30 points or more, which also leads the country. I mean, you know, this is consistent football this offense yeah. is playing. Yeah. You know? I, I mean, I, I think, um, I, you know, obviously any team can lose any week, and Penn State can't just walk into a stadium and expect to beat whoever they play. But uh, that consistency, Penn State is showing, you know, the kind of things that they need to show. This was a top 25 team. There's a reason Iowa's ranked in the top 25 in spite of having, uh, you know, such a bad offense, you know, their pedigree on defense is just, you know, they, they at the time had one of the better defenses in the country and it was going to be a real test. And our offense just met the challenge. And then some, uh, here's an example of, of that dominance. You mentioned that touchdown pass with 12 minutes left. That was the last time Drew Aller would see the field against Iowa. He's gotten in every single game now in the fourth quarter, if not the third. Do you know how many passes Drew Aller has thrown in the fourth quarter this season? None. Four. Okay. But still. <laughs> That's great. You know, like he's hardly played uh, the fourth quarter. It, it's, and that's this like, was a tough, that's like last year, like drew was getting in the fourth quarter in a, almost every game. And that, that is invaluable experience. It's why drew has been able to be, you know, build off of last year more than if he would, you know, if we just kept Clifford and, and, and Franklin was known for keeping his starters in earlier on in his career, keeping his starters in too long. And that has shifted. Another evolution of, of Franklin is he is understanding the supreme value of getting his backups, a having a deep rotation at all levels and getting his backup quarterback reps in game. And I think it's going to prove valuable for Perbula, uh, especially if we want to start utilizing him um, either as a decoy or as a you know gimmick type th- situation moving forward in some of these games where we want to throw a couple of extra wrinkles. I like what they're doing. Tell us a little bit more about Bo in the game, Andy. Yeah, well, I mean, he had eight carries for 55 yards. Which led the he, team? He uh, 55 yards led the team. Didn't it? Oh, no. I'm sorry. Uh, th- my apologies. I think uh, that was just behind our, our boy, uh, Fat Man. Yeah. Fat, Fat Man. He was the second leading rusher in the game. I apologize. But yeah, he led but the he, team in 6.9 yards per average. Yeah. Yards, his yards per carry average was 6.9. That led the team. Um, I mean, 55 yards on eight carries in the fourth quarter in mop-up duty. You know, um, Trey Potts also, as you said, uh, led running backs in yards per carry during that same stretch time. Um, um, by the way, how good does it feel to have 
a great third running back in Prairie Potts. Yeah, uh, I mean, he caught he, he, the the lone uh, completion by Bo was to Trey Potts on a 16-yard uh, scamper, and that looked great. And yeah, I think it's great to have a hometown kid, in, not literal hometown, but Trey Potts from just down the road in Williamsport, be in there and 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 make a place for the blue and white. It's just it's nice that you can re- feel the sense of like, ooh, I, I I I don't feel bad about these guys coming in and and you know playing ball control and run out the clock. It's like you, you don't have to rely on your starters to go close out a game. You can absolutely rely on your backups to do it, and that's great. And um, I think if if Trey Potts has to do more than just be third string for whatever reason in the future, I, you feel really feel good, good about, about him. You he, do, you yeah. do. He's got Big Ten experience and Power Five experience, and it and it's it shows. Um, so as we come to a conclusion here, I just want to um, I just want to throw out a couple of these really interesting uh, statistical. Anomalies, um, and this comes from an article I read. Um, SI.com had. Um, I'm just going to throw this out there. Get your take on it. Um, Iowa had the same number of turnovers as first down four. Yep. All yep. right, we already got that. Penn State scored two less points than Iowa had offensive plays, thirty-one to thirty-three. <laughs> we- pathetic. It's absolutely pathetic. <laughs> Penn State had more rushing attempts, 57, than Iowa had passing yards, 56. It's pathetic, really pathetic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Iowa's rushing yard total at 20 uh, was nearly matched on one play by Penn State's running back Nick Singleton with his 19-yard long run. Um, yeah, if you remove that long run by Cade McNamara, which is a 20-yard run, they only had like... Uh, two team total total of two team rushing yards, net yards. <laughs> right. Um, that, by the way, those right? those twenty rush yards were on seventeen attempts. So they yeah. they were one point two stuck in neutral. One point two average. That is a tr- they they had more penalty yards than they had rushing yards. And speaking of, uh, Penn State quarterback Drew Allert nearly had as many passing attempts at 37 as Cade McNamara had in passing yards at 42. Jeez. Uh, and, and to kind of illustrate that, you know, this was, to me, it was kind of a tale of two halves from a dominant standpoint. You know, we were kind of getting going during the first half a little bit, but really the second half is where we pythoned them. They had the ball for less than six minutes in the second half. Their Iowa's offense could not, get anything going. They didn't have a first down, I think, until the end of the game. It was just atrocious. Now, what? there was a play in the second half, or excuse me, a play in the second quarter with, I think, around nine minutes or so left. Um, it was a third and seven for, for Iowa, um, and he... Oh, you know, Cade McNair passed it like down the seam, I believe, and he overshot his guy, and our, our safety read... Uh, it fell right into his bread basket as he was diving forward, and it's it skipped through. I'm sure the the water and rain played a, a role in that. But if he had caught that ball, it was at the 50 yard line. There was nine minutes left. We were up 10 nothing. I you gotta I gotta assume that we at least get a field goal out of that. I think going into the half with a 13 or 17 point lead would have certainly changed our opinions on the first half, and I think it would have led to I think it would have led to an even bigger uh, victory as well. I just. Uh... You know, just a dominating 
uh, win, a dominating victory. It wasn't perfect, right? There were there were some moments. Uh, we nearly took a safety on our second offensive play of the game. Um, you know, Caden Saunders had a muffed punt that could have like, really. Briefly, we're almost playing into Iowa's. I hands know. Here a I was, bit. Briefly, I was worried. You know, and that's then why they the played full four quarters. Then at the end of the half, we were backed up to our own goal line. Um, there were there was like a minute left on the clock, and guess who didn't. have have all of their timeouts because they had to burn them because of the whiteout Iowa. I love that. They only had one timeout left. And so, you know, they couldn't stop the clock, even though we were like literally on the one yard line um, because of another one of those great punts, but it couldn't turn into anything. We weren't punting out of the back of our end zone. We were just able to close out the half. And then, as you said, the second half, it was just total domination. You know, uh, special teams, I think, um, were I gave them like a B. You know, and we're not ranking every every unit here or anything like that. But I give special teams a B. You know, they kicked that first field goal, which got the scoring off, and that was important. We obviously fell on uh, one of their um, muffed punts, hit a player in the back, and we got it. Um, and and our own uh, special teams mistakes didn't hurt us. We haven't yeah. had a special mistakes hurt special teams mistakes hurt us in crunch time at all. Um, you know we missed a we missed a field goal in I think in in the second half. Um, I believe it was in the second half. I can't recall. Um, it was a longer one. Falcons has taken over the role. He's not perfect, but he's he seems pretty um, on point. He's good our, enough. He's our good punting enough right is a little more concerning to yeah. me. Yeah. Uh, in a lot of ways, we're averaging less than forty. Um, he's he's put some short. Uh, but here's one more thing that didn't happen in the game that I can't believe wasn't called was that roughing the punter penalty. I think was a bo- I can't believe they didn't throw that uh, flag on that. That was unbelievable to me. They almost hyper. He like hyper extended his leg and darn near broke it. Is what it looked like. It was it was bad and they didn't they didn't even throw a flag on that. And I guess I guess it's because he does that. Uh, that he is Australian. And he has that Australian style. But he wasn't Outside running of the, the ball. Tackle box. But he wasn't running the ball. Like he was going to punt the ball. And even though you could kind of make the claim that he was being sort of blocked into him, he still laid out for the for the block and missed and hit the plant leg and almost and and almost snapped the knee back. Yeah, that that if there if that's because of a rule thing, they should they should definitely correct the rule on that because that right. that's what they're trying to prevent as guys getting injured on those kind of plays. Right. But um, yeah, so. All that to say, there are things to clean up. There are things to work on. Um, but you know what? Uh, it was. It feels so nitpicky to even bring that up because I know, I know. But uh, you know, be- the coaches are going to be nitpicking. That's what they're going to do. That's their the, job. You know, I, I hope this team takes this as both a sign of what is possible with the talent that we're putting on the field, as well as a reminder that we got to. St- still keep working and um, you know make those corrections and get things cleaned up and get ready for some bigger games to come because uh, as good as it felt to you know blow the doors off of Iowa 31 to nothing um, it's going to be nothing like the feeling of doing the same to Ohio State or Michigan I find myself after watching that game pondering you know you know as a season starts and goes on it's a long season you know you go you go you, your team fluctuates 
you go up and down in terms of like, do you have the juice? Are yeah. you firing on all cylinders? Absolutely. Would you prefer that Penn State had been f- firing on all cylinders like this out of the gate, and then maybe they hit a lull at this point in the season? You know what I mean? Or would you prefer yeah. that you're starting to like get towards a crescendo? No, no. This is you this know is, what I mean. This is the way to go. I mean, we got to make sure we don't have a letdown against a. Uh, and we'll talk about this in our next episode, but against a Northwestern team that may be finding a little something in themselves. But um, no, this is where we want to be. And, uh, you know, it's setting up to continue to develop, stay healthy, try out new things and get ready for what's going to be um, an absolute monster of a game in Columbus, you know, barring problems with Ohio State or Penn State that we can't totally foresee. I mean, that's going to be one of the biggest games in the in the nation up to that point in this college football year. And uh, no, I like that we started a little bit slow. I like that we're really hitting our stride right now. And, um, you know, I, sky's the limit, man. It really feels like it. Sky is the limit. Yeah. Um, you know, to kind of uh, do you want to do we want to start putting a bow on this this yeah let's the just, Iowa let's game well, so, any, any okay. final thoughts man well one is you know I look at Drew Aller uh, and the way that he, that we have utilized him in this offense so far and we haven't put too much on his plate like I said he's distributing the ball to everybody. I mean, Dinkins, you know, like he's he has no favorites. I mean, Keandre's is number one, but he's still get, getting the ball around. Tyler Warren has four touchdowns right now. Tyler Warren has four touchdowns That's right incredible. now. That's incredible. All yeah. right. And, and, you know, there. I think there's like at least he got completed the ball to like, I think, eight receivers, eight different, you know, receiving targets. Um, and, and then I look at the way that, you know, his progression is going. And I think that like you, he's just becoming more and more comfortable in this offense while not being asked to to do it all, to win it all. It's not all on his back, and it's a whole team, you know, um, performance. Everybody's chipping in every game, and the team is winning in a different way every week. So you're kind of like putting together this resume of what we can be by you know by what we have shown to do in each game differently and so we kind of have like all these little little tools in our chest to draw from and some new ones that I think possibly we're not showing you know we haven't tipped our hand towards um towards what I think this offense can top in you know, top out at. And to me, it's that downfield threat, that explosive run game threat we have not shown yet. And that's where the improvements can happen. And, and I really believe that over these next few weeks, we have Northwestern coming up on the road. Then we have a bye week and then we have UMass at home. And in those three weeks, you know, I'm not saying you, you, you're going to prepare for Northwestern, you know, one or no Northwestern, 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 but you know, by all counts, I feel, and we'll talk about Northwestern a little bit, but like you're not going to need to throw everything you've got at Northwestern from a game planning standpoint, from a te- personnel standpoint. You're going to be able to get some of your backups in towards the, you know, in the second half early on, m- most likely. But then you get your players healthy over the next two weeks leading up to the Ohio State game and go into that game with a two week long preparatory game from a game plan standpoint, and you get your players healthy and you're looking awesome for the second half of the season when all your hardest games are showing up. I like where this team's going, and I'm looking forward to to next week uh, in Chicago for sure. 
I'm with you, man, 100%. Um, I, ditto to everything you just said. <laughs> uh, Let's you know, your I, thoughts, though. Come on. <laughs> I, I, no, I mean, I, totally. I, I, you know, I, d- I don't want to get ahead of ourselves too much, and um, I'm... I'm looking forward to next week's game uh, first and foremost, and seeing if we it's can Northwestern build. Is Northwestern the trap game? <laughs> uh, truly, man. Yeah. Um, and in fact, let's go ahead and uh, wrap it up for now because we're going to talk about the Northwestern game in our next episode. Um, make sure you subscribe to this podcast, follow us, so you don't miss that episode when it drops. I encourage you Five to share star review. <laughs> Five Give star us ratings, mailbag, <laughs> <laughs> uh, blue and white brothers at gmail.com. If you want to write in and uh, don't forget to share with your Penn state friends, um, join us for our next episode, previewing that Northwestern game until then, bro. It always starts with, I love you. And it ends with, I love you. We are Penn state. Thanks for listening to the Blue and White Brothers. Join us next time for another great episode about Penn State football. Want to make sure you don't miss an episode? Be sure to hit subscribe before you go. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't hesitate to give us a five-star review with overwhelming words of adulation and praise. 